Welcome to the Word of Christ, sermons from Pastor Sean Denzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. The Old Testament reading for Ash Wednesday is from Joel, the second chapter. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord. And make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. The continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. At that time Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine, outward training. Training and preparation for what? Peter tells us, for becoming partakers of the divine nature and for entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior Jesus Christ and to enjoy His divine benefits. And thus Luther wrote in the small catechism that fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training to worthily eat and drink the Lord's Supper. Because here we become partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature which is personally united to the human nature of Jesus. That is, his flesh and blood. Here, we are made partakers of the body and blood of Christ, which are sacramentally united to bread and wine, as his own divine word says. The Lord's Supper is, of course, not the only way in which we are to be made partakers of the divine nature. It is only the most poignant on this side of glory. Eternal life with our Lord Jesus Christ in the resurrection, that is the greatest communion with God that you and I await. It is our inheritance, even now by faith, and therefore, we live our whole lives, not just a portion, not just a day, not just a season in them. We live our whole lives in recognition and awareness of this, that the Lord graciously rescues us from our sins and makes us partakers of His divine life. At least this is how it ought to be. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But that is true no matter what your treasure is. Thus we should be interested in storing up treasures in divine treasures, which will neither molder nor grow wrinkly or flabby or fail us. And what we have in this life, our bodies, as well as our time and our money, these, these we are to press into the service of faith and the gospel that sustains that faith. The outward serves the inward. Discipline serves faith. The trouble is that we 21st century Lutherans have become very good at utterly separating the internal from the external. We know what Luther says after he says that fasting and bodily preparation are fine. But, and so we think that Luther's being sarcastic about the first part. We think he really means forget about the fasting and any outward stuff. Likewise, when we hear Jesus in today's gospel issue these warnings about fasting and giving to the poor and prayer, Instead of being wise to heed his wisdom and advice and encouragement in these things, we become very foolish. Instead of being mindful of our weak flesh, which is tempted both from without and from within, we suppose that it's merely the thought 
that counts. I mean, if that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith, well, I have faith, don't I? Who doesn't have faith? And in this way, we translate Christ's admonition to do in secret, which he means he do for God as the sole audience. Instead, we change this to mean to do this all in theory, or to do it in spirit, to be piously invisible. In other words, to be Christians in fiction, or in name only. Repent. Hear what the prophet Joel says. Blow the trumpet. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the whole congregation. Elders, children, even infants. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord. Return to the Lord with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Now what great and public outward ceremonies all of these things are. The prophet called the people of Judah to take them up, not individually either, not as it suited each person, but corporately, each and every person, yes, but each of them according to their station. And all of them together, subjecting their individual to the operation of the whole body, the whole assembly. Now why, why in the world would Joel call for such a dramatic event, a dramatic time, a dramatic service even? It's because heart and mouth go together. Just as treasure and heart go together. Because devastation was about to strike Judah. A swarm of locusts, chapter 1 says, wave upon wave of them were coming to devour everything. Grain, oil, wine, everything. And this disaster itself was only a prophetic harbinger of a greater devastation on the horizon. The swarm of Assyria's armies coming, bearing down to carry Judah away just like they had already done to Israel in the north. And Joel is the prophet. He is the one who knows God's counsel in all of this. He knows that they are no mere happenstance of weather. They are the Lord's judgment against Judah, against them for faithless hearts, not to mention faithless mouths and faithless bodies. And Joel then connects these temporal judgments on Israel to the ultimate judgment of God, to the day of the Lord, the great and very awesome day, he says. Who can endure it? Well, the only hope is to return to the Lord your God, to repent. And thus Joel's call for fasting and bodily preparation, a solemn period of confession and prayer, to beg the Lord's mercy, faith and outward action together. Now, dear God, have we Christians, we in the New Testament, 
with all of the advantages and promises that we have in Christ, have we become worse than faithless Israel? Have we lost all bodily reality to our Christianity? Have we begun to treat our mental conversations with ourselves as if they were prayer? Do we treat fond memories of Sunday mornings with friends in this or that building, do we treat that as if it is faith? And have we twisted Christ's words against the hypocrites into our defense mechanism against any semblance of piety or Christian discipline among us today? I can remember vividly watching on the TV as the planes struck the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. We all watched it. School was kind of canceled that day. And then I remember coming home to find out that there was going to be a special church service that evening, even though it was a Tuesday. It wasn't a Sunday or any special day at all. And in response to such a horrific event, we all went to our church. We prayed the litany. We sang it even. We admitted that we deserve God's punishment, not only individually, but even nationally. We were forced to. Because at last we recognized that we were not what our pride and foolishness had thought we were. We were not invincible. We were not unassailable. We were mortal, subject to the same attack and devastation that anyone else is. And so, thanks be to God, rather than run around and get mad or do something stupid, we prayed because we didn't know what to do. We prayed no matter who we were or what we would have rather done that night, we had to gather. We had to physically get together and beseech the Lord's mercy. I bet some of you older members remember this, but I bet some of you can even remember other instances like this from your childhood. But I ask you, who among us is old enough to remember something like Joel mentions? Who remembers fasting and bodily preparation, rending of garments and hearts alike, not after the locusts struck, but before they even had arrived. How is it, dear saints, that we can have forgotten to do this? How could we forget that we are dust, and to dust we shall return? We are the holy Christian church for Christ's sake. Lent is the Holy Christian Church's recognition of this. The recognition of just what Luther says in the small catechism. That yes, fasting and bodily preparation, along with faith, and only together with faith, are certainly fine, good, as it should be, outward training. The sort that we mortals need badly. The church knows that we need to confess and pray. And we need to do that even when things are good. 
We shouldn't wait for the locusts or the terrorists to strike before we turn back to God. We need to realize that we are most in danger when we have been lulled into a false sense of security, whether that's due to a bountiful harvest or a report of good health instead of bad or any number of material blessings. We are most in danger when we have been lulled into the false sense of security with our own sinful flesh. And that's why Joel says, while you're rending your garments, be sure that you are rending your hearts. It's his warning not to just go through the motions, which is a temptation too. But we are the ones who have the audacity to use that as our excuse for not coming to the Lord's house or to his word or to prayer too often as if it would be God's fault if we ever found ourselves bored to partake of his divine nature. Like I, it's become popular to twist Jesus' warning about hypocrisy into our defense against the church's collective and multi-generational wisdom of corporate fasting, corporate almsgiving, that's giving to the poor, Corporate repentance and corporate prayer, what we call the season of Lent. And how couldn't we fall into this, actually? We are so radically individual that the very notion of discipline of any kind, especially as a whole body submissive to another, as a church submitting to Christ our head, that very idea has become offensive to us. So when we hear our Lord telling us, when you fast or when you pray, we are immediately concerned with what I personally will choose to do. What am I going to decide out of my freedom to give up? How will I personalize my Christianity? Make it fit what I want to do. How will I make Lent an opportunity to express myself? And how stubbornly, too, will I resist anyone's suggestion that we actually be disciplined in the Lord together as a church? You see, that attitude and that thinking, which is what most of us have heard Lent is about, giving something up that we pick, that fatal misunderstanding is at the heart of what Jesus is talking about today. Because the overriding principle is beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them and praised and rewarded by them. Now even the Pharisees, with all of their problems that the Lord rebukes, they were not so foolish as to conclude, well, you know what, if I don't practice my righteousness around other people, or at all, then I can't be guilty of doing it wrong, can I? Shame on us. If our Lord's warning about doing in secret before the Father who is in secret were not a hyperbole, then don't you realize we would be sinning tonight 
sinning every Sunday when we gather publicly to pray. Joel, too, in the Old Testament, would be a false prophet calling on Judah to have a public fast instead of hiding. No, that is not what Jesus is saying. He is reorienting us instead to recognize that we are always gathering before God, not before men, not even before ourselves or what we are pleased with. Our audience is always the Lord. And even more importantly, our reason to gather, our reason to be disciplined, our reason to have hope is our Lord, to whom we return daily. And the reward that we seek is the one that is promised by our Heavenly Father on account of His Son's righteousness, not the recognition that comes from our self-expression. Jesus is not referring to some self-chosen discipline like giving up Diet Coke. He is talking about public disciplines held in common by all Jews, the very things that Joel was calling on in his day. Now, dear Christians, I am sorry. I don't mean to scold you. And I'm including myself very much in these rebukes. And I know that you have not come here tonight to protest Lent. But you have come here precisely because you know you need it and because you wish to enter it. It is your faith, not your unbelief, but your faith that has brought you here tonight. And since that is the case, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in this knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You wish to become and to remain partakers of the divine nature. You have escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Yes, and you wish to continue escaping it because you recognize that you are mortals. You are dust, returning to dust faster every day. You are still in this world. You are still yet subject to its corrupting influence. We do not yet see all things under subjection to our Lord's pierced feet. God be praised that you come with this desire. Indeed, it is no one less than the Holy Spirit who is working it in you. That is to say, it is God who works repentance in us, who turns us away from the sinful flesh and toward his blessings, the blessings of his divine nature in the man Jesus Christ. For this reason, I urge you this Lent 
also not to neglect fasting and bodily preparation. Do not box in this battle as if you were playing air boxing. We are gathered here at the beginning of Lent, at the beginning of our church's season of corporate discipline and repentance. And we are gathered here not to be gathered in front of people, not to be gathered in front of the pastor for his audience, least of all to be gathered in front of ourselves. But we are gathered in before our Lord who has redeemed us. We are all of us facing the same direction together. We beat our breasts, not the air. And we cry out for mercy to the same Lord. We receive from the Father's hand the same mercy and the same promises. And our hearts, that is, our faith, faces the glories of His divine nature faces the glow of where true treasure is, our true treasure, of which we partake through Christ our Lord. Our treasures and our bodies and every outward resource that we can marshal likewise must face him with our faith. The warnings of Jesus, together with the exhortations of Joel and the encouragement of St. Peter tonight, add up to this. We are neither mere souls, nor are we mechanical bodies. We are body and soul together. We are whole people. And likewise, we are neither mindless, equal cogs in a machine with no faces, nor are we individual soloists expressing ourselves. We are the body of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And our life, our conversation, our worship, and our discipline reflects this truth. We partake of the Lord who partook of our flesh and blood, the one who always intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. That's why our bodies can't be left out of our Christianity. But they, too, must participate in our repenting. They must join in the believing, in our loving, in our hoping, and in our rejoicing. We turn from stuffing our own bellies instead toward the Word of God and His sacraments, which are what truly satisfy. We press our wealth, not into the service of ourselves, but into those who are in need, recognizing that the Lord has shared His wealth for our need. And we raise up our prayer, Lord, have mercy in repentance and faith. And you know what? It may be helpful also to be marked with an ashen cross on the forehead just to help drive in the reality of both our mortality, but also of our Christian hope through our Lord's entrance into it. And this is not only individually for each of us, but it is together. We partake of our head, who joins us together, dear Christians, as a body, the holy Christian church, whom you are.
That is why we do these things together. And yes, even to some degree in public. We don't do it isolated or alone in secret. That is part of what it must be if you're blowing the trumpet to consecrate a fast. Likewise, when you fast, your wife has to know why it is you're not eating her dinner tonight. And it is no sin to gather together with your fellow Christians to pray. After all, our Lord taught us this very night not to pray, my Father, but always and only to say, our Father, together. Families, you will have to determine your giving to the poor and to the church deliberately and in proportion to what God has given you, that is, as an initial percentage of your income, not as an afterthought or from our leftovers. And yes, I'm convinced that ashes put on aged and infant alike drives home that the wages of sin are death for all, but that our confidence is Christ is the life for all. In our freedom, dear saints, we are glad to benefit from the disciplines of our church in ages past. And thus we set aside and consecrate these 40-some days outwardly for such training in our Lord. Come, let us return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. His divine power grants to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God granted this Lent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to The Word of Christ. You can find more sermons at verbachristi.blogspot.com and if you have need to contact Pastor Denzer, you can email him at pastor at denzer.org. That's P-A-S-T-O-R at D-A-E-N-Z-E-R dot O-R-G. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Amen.